Welcome! I'm Roxanne Spring, your personal midwife after hours, celebrating and promoting wisdom and power in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I am so excited to have Kristen Eflin with us here today. I've known her for a number of years. I can't actually remember what year we met, but we've done a lot of fun things together. We've served on boards together and just a delightful soul. And as you all have already seen, if you've been looking at the promos, she is a certified professional midwife. She's been licensed in the state of Washington for quite some time. She practiced as a direct entry licensed midwife. That's after she already had her bachelor's in arts in having in women, uh, gender and sexuality studies that she did way back in 2002. So she's been wrapped up with social justice and working on so many things and always with that focal point of um, making lives better. And she's done it with a political edge. And that is one of the reasons that I just saw a recent thing that she was talking about politically. And I said, we need to get her here. And so I'm so excited and so thankful to have you here today. Thank you, Kristen, for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's pretty, you know, exciting time, you know, to just be thinking about the shifts we've seen you know, with um, more people realizing that midwives exist and that they can choose midwifery care, you know, birthing care that's empowering, where they have, you know, prenatal visits with plenty of time to ask their questions. And I just want, you know, all that great postpartum care for everyone who wants it Yeah. <laughs> more and more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The times have shifted quite some time. And that's the really the whole reason this program exists is to raise consciousness and make sure that people have the what they need to make informed choices. You can't have informed choices if you don't have the information to, to make those decisions with. So that's what this was born out of. I have failed to mention on the promos before and even now, you're a mama. But you did a lot of these things before you became a mama. And um, so I guess we're going to hear about this journey. I'm very interested. Tell us how, what first put that notion in your mind that you wanted to be a midwife? And tell us a little bit about your journey and how it's brought you to the point you're at right now. Sure. I, as you mentioned, I studied women, gender, and sexuality studies in college along with my philosophy degree and I stuck around my school um, and we had these sailboats we could sail on on this St. Mary's River and, <laughs> and with a, a dear friend who had who had done her senior project on midwives and midwife herbs um, in Maryland, the state of Maryland. And she bought me the book Spiritual Midwifery and we were sailing and swimming together a bunch and she just gave me this book and you know, I was going on my way and worked in some homeless and domestic violence shelters. And then I worked for the national organization um, working on ending gender stereo uh, discrimination and violence that, you know, caused by gender stereotypes. 
But as I was doing that work on a national level and working with people on campuses to really trying to get rid of those gender stereotypes that harm us all, I enjoyed it very much, but I also felt a little bit like sometimes I was fundraising for my own salary and not enough in the trenches. <laughs> and so I really wanted to be working with people um, you know, in the trenches, in addition to trying to make change on a broader level. And that's when I sort of started soul searching and landed back with this book that my friend had given me, you know, mm -hmm. and thought, wow, you know, and I, uh, at the time, my partner at the time, her sister had had a home birth in Arizona and, you know, felt really empowered by that experience. And I just realized I want to do this. I want to be a midwife. And it had come from the fact that I had wanted to be for a very long time, a primary care physician in a medically underserved area. So, you know, I had, and it was, so it was kind of this full circle where women's studies and gender studies met, met my desire to serve people, um, you know, in that way to be a primary care provider. And, and in this case, perinatal, right? Care mm -hmm. provider. So it was, um, yeah, this perfect blending. And I always knew I wanted to teach students. I, I used to mm -hmm. say, I'd like to teach medical school students because I didn't know anything about midwifery. Mm -hmm. And so it's just so fun, you know, that now I'm, you know, teaching midwifery students. Um, so to, to have it come full circle in that way um, and actually get to, you know, provide really good care for people and help them, you know, have that empowering experience that I think everyone should have. Yes. Well, that whole path of dedication to that was really not uncommon, actually. We interviewed um, Susie Myers not a, some time ago now, but this year, and she had a similar segue into midwifery. I don't know if you two have ever kind of discussed that before, but it's an interesting thing to me. It raises us a lot of the same devotion and dedication to rights and to, you know, really advocating for people. I'm curious, what made you decide to do the pathway of licensed midwife? Because when you talk about being a primary care provider, it would seem like you might have explored the alternate pathway to that as well. So tell us a little bit about how that became the pathway you chose. Well, when I realized that being a midwife sounded amazing <laughs> to be able to try to change birth and mm -hmm. and change healthcare <laughs> um, for folks, in addition to offering that one-on-one -on -one time with folks, I I did look into all the pathways and thought about the different schools. And I really, my mother had had natural births, mm -hmm. and it, so in the eight, early eighties and you know, she had had it, they made it look like a, a bedroom. And that was one way that they appealed to people. Either they were doing the Lamas and they wanted their natural births. And she just talked about that. She talked about her births, I feel like a lot. She clearly felt empowered by them. And I thought that was normal. And then when I realized that many people don't have this experience of, you know, birthing their babies and feeling the power that that we had to do that, you know, to grow them and then birth them, even a, even an empowering cesarean birth, right? But she did get to have, you know, vaginal births and feel really amazing about her power in that way. 
Um, and I think you carry that power into being a, you know, a parent and she did and she talked about it. And I didn't realize that wasn't normal until I got out into the world. And so when I was thinking about being a midwife, I didn't, and I, I compared what uh, the hospital experience for so many isn't empowering, right? I think it can be. And I think there are amazing midwives doing amazing things in hospitals and it's every hospital should have midwives, <laughs> you know, yeah. to be able to do that. But I wanted, I didn't want people to be restricted by policies that weren't evidence-based. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted, to, I wanted to make sure that my training was such that I could support people in a setting where they could make evidence-based choices and not not have to fight to be able to eat a cracker in labor if they're hungry. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that. No, it's absolutely true. As you know, I practice both in hospital and out of hospital, which was always my intention. Uh, and I did personally find it very, very hard to hold sacred space for, for birthing, you know, for yeah. recognizing that, hello, this is the birth of this mother, this baby, this family. This is not, um, it doesn't, and the, the disconnect between what evidence really was supporting and the way the business is done, a very big disconnect. So you would be working with healthcare professionals that were not really on the page of doing things because that's what evidence said. But they did it that way because that's what the culture dictates. And so I, I fully agree with you. And there are beautiful births. And a person should be in the setting where they feel the most comfortable. Absolutely. And we do need midwives in all settings. As far as me, I share your love of community-based midwifery. That was much more fulfilling in my life. Um, from that standpoint, from the standpoint of absolutely not just acknowledging, but making sure that a woman knows that she was not delivered, she gave birth. And that's not always so easily arrived at in a hospital setting. Thank you for sharing your journey and that you did it so carefully and, and cautiously. So tell us a little bit about your practice. And I mean, your how you entered practice and how you've evolved. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, um, I uh, attended Seattle Midwifery School, which then eventually, you know, has merged into Bastyr University. But at the time, um, I, you know, and I, so I had a joyous and also really hard, <laughs> right? Because midwifery school is really hard, <laughs> three years um, of school and I had thought that I was going to practice with two of my classmates and that didn't end up working out. And, and it, there was another classmate of mine who I had sat next to every single day when we had in class, we also had, you know, online kind of hybrid um, model of schooling, but um, she said, well, just come to Bellingham since you're not doing that other thing. And even though she was going to be doing something else with other midwives, I said, okay, you know, and so I never imagined practicing by myself, but just that beautiful road <laughs> from Bellingham mm -hmm. on down along the water. I thought, you're right, I just need to be here. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I moved there and, you know, they're an amazing story. 
um, how, you know, there's 12 midwives in that small county. Mm. They do, you know, more than 10% of the births um, mm. there. And so there, it's a really cool place um, that, and I just felt super welcomed by the midwives there, the community that they've created among each other, mm. you know, in, um, in more urban areas, I think maybe cause there's just, people are busier. Sometimes you don't get the community, but there, you know, the midwives had community. They did peer review every month or every other month. And mm -hmm. so I was really grateful to go to this place. And it did end up that I joined her practice um, as one other midwife retired. You know, so often you've got maternity leaves and midwives mm -hmm. retiring. And so I was able to, to work there for three years, um, it, which was amazing. And um, and just as people were starting to come back with their other pregnancies, <laughs> um, it turned out I met a partner across on the other side of the state. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we decided to move to the middle of Washington. Um, so I live in Leavenworth and um, another midwife needed help with maternity leave in Wenatchee. And they, you know, we have a birth center here in Wenatchee. And so I came here to Wenatchee um, and did home births and birth centers here, uh, birth center births here. Um, for six years. Mm. Um, yeah, until I was pregnant with my second baby and decided I needed to take a little break from clinical midwifery. <laughs> yeah, being home with your little ones is it's what you're embracing for so many. And it's not that you're prescribing it to people, but there's just such a fullness in life and they're just little, so little time, you know? So I, I applaud that decision. Um, again, I'm not trying to put it on anybody but for those that want to be home that's the place to be absolutely wonderful but you're home and you are not just at home I mean you have continued to really pour some energy into one facet of midwifery for sure but tell us more about that story, how midwifery, how you're supporting and active in midwifery at this point in your life. Yeah, I um, decided when I was, um, <laughs> I started, I had an 18 month old, my son was 18 months and I was cross country skiing because that's what we do in the winter here and pulling him along probably in the back on a little, you know, pod and he was taking mm -hmm. his nap and I thought, well, I'm starting to get some sleep finally. <laughs> I should probably do something else to keep myself busy. You know, it's one of those things you think, why didn't I just let myself rest for a little while? <laughs> but I decided to um, go back to school and to get a master's degree at Bestier University. Um, they offer a one year master's degree for someone who has experience. You know, if you've been a doula for a long time, I had been a midwife for nine years and, and still was at that point um, in practicing clinical midwifery. And I really wanted a master's degree program because I wanted to teach more mm -hmm. and I you know I saw myself okay you know having this other baby I want to be able to teach and and be on call less or or maybe not at all you know mm -hmm. and um and so I saw that as a path and so this one-year program they really recognize your experience you know I didn't mm -hmm. have to jump through a bunch of hoops it was oh you've been a midwife for nine years you have a lot to offer yeah. You know, and um, a one-year master's degree just felt like the perfect thing at that time. And so I was able to, you know, just learn so much about 
so much more than I had known before, you know, not that I knew nothing, but um, working with Dr. Nancy Anderson, um, who is a pediatrician, and mm. that she um, has taught midwives and um, is an amazing person who just had so much for me to learn from her and from the program too. Um, she was one of the designers of the program along with Karen Hayes. And mm. um, yeah, to about, yeah, thinking about how do we, you know, eliminate these horrible inequities that we have, you know, yes. where black women are four times more likely to die, you know, yes. related to childbirth than white women, which that number is already too high, right? These, this is yeah. unacceptable, Completely. you know, and baby black babies are two times more likely to die, you know, and native babies um, are not faring better. You know, it's, we have these unconscionable, mm -hmm. uh, you know, inequities. And so just really figuring out yeah and learning how to work with folks who are already doing good work amplifying that you know good work that's already happening you know with like black mama's matter alliance has really just emerged you know recently in this amazing way they've been here right for years and they all of those folks have been doing work in different places for a long time but to just just finally see okay good like they're sitting down you know last week with kamala harris at the white mm. house you know like mm. good hopefully we can actually get some movement in the right direction here and so i um yeah and that that having that master's degree not only did i get to learn more about um social justice and how to make these changes we want to see um you know reproductive justice birth justice um but um, being able to teach as well. And I had been teaching already, mm -hmm. but to do to be able to do it more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now tell us a little bit about your stepping into the political arena. I don't even know what point you initially dipped your foot, but I know that it's a it's frequently what I have seen you activated with and raising consciousness. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the very first sort of lobby day I ever did was the National Gender Lobby Day in Washington, D.C. So I got to see at the federal mm. level what it was like to come together um, and ask, you know, for people not to be discriminated against in employment or bullied at schools, you know, based on sexual orientation, gender expression, and gender identity. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first sort of time I... I re well, I, yeah, you know, and I did some other minor organizing earlier in my life in high school and college and, and whatnot. But that was the first time where I sort of intersected with educated officials, mm -hmm. right? Le sorry, elected officials, mm -hmm. you know, got in there. And, and, and then when I learned what the Virginia midwives were doing right before I moved out for midwifery school, that's when they were trying to get CPM legislation in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so I went and they did a lobbying 101, you know, trying to get you know, families excited and advocating for midwifery in Virginia. And then they did get that CPM legislation passed there. So midwives could practice, um, you know, legally there. And um, it, so when I came out to the West Coast, you know, and they had been having a midwife lobby day, gosh, we've been having a midwife lobby day in, in Washington for decades, yeah. more than three decades, right? Yeah. So, but it was always kind of, you know, like 10 people and it was still really awesome and important, but I just thought that it could be so much bigger. <laughs> and um, and so that's been really exciting to like, make sure people know it's happening and try to help, help midwives, students and families feel like this, this is not scary, <laughs> come out, you know, you, these are your people that you vote for mm -hmm. and they want to hear from you and they need to hear from you about the amazing experiences you've had with your midwives. And just to make sure um, that 
midwifery isn't forgotten, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And also to, you know, make gains. So, you know, over the years we've done a lot in turn, you know, there was a time where Medicaid didn't reimburse Correct. home birth or birth center birth, right? And so all of those changes that have come over time from going there and saying, this is good care, it's high quality care, people are choosing it, it's cost-effective care, you know, and helping to make sure that the legislators know who we are and what we do. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so I, um, as a student, we get we have all the students from past year go to Lobby Day. Mm -hmm. um, it's part of a requirement in the second year that they get to go and see what it's like. Um, and of course, this year and last year, it's had to be virtual, but yes. <laughs> they still go have come on Zoom. And 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 in a way, you know, last year we we had um, a, a hundred and fifty people. Correct. Because it was virtual. A so bigger... we could have midwives from, you know, Okanagan County, mm -hmm. who otherwise are the only midwife in their county and couldn't drive six hours to come to lobby day. They were able to come and meet with their legislators as well and make sure, you know, and they have the same questions sometimes. If they're a new legislator and never met with us before, they'll say things like, so are you a doula? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? They need the clarification. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them need the clarification. And if they've met us before, okay, they say, oh, you know, what is it we can help you with this time? And um, so it's been exciting. We got um, increased reimbursement for the birth center, birth centers, you know, um, and that's made a real huge difference. We, we have now so many more birth centers than we did even five years ago mm -hmm. because it's a it's the kind of reimbursement rate it should be mm -hmm. you know um we tripled that rate because they were still paying birth center facility fees that they had been paying the same thing in the 1990s oh, so yes. you know until just a couple years ago and we said this isn't okay people can't keep their lights on You're with correct. with six hundred dollars you know for 10 months of care mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um and and that so you know making that facility fee more you know what it is from medicaid you know more what it is in other um, states so that we can have more birth centers especially in rural areas mm -hmm. um, and of course home birth is still available and great but for those who who don't feel comfortable being at home right that birth center can be that that place where okay i want to leave my house to give birth but i don't really want to go to a hospital <laughs> right right no yeah. it definitely is a it's an option that has really been important to have for so many so for so many families and yeah yeah so for this year um and we started talking about it with them last year but for this year we're really you know letting them know that as licensed midwives who are doing community birth we can't you know give people birth control if they want it Right? We can talk to them all about it. We can tell them the risks and benefits, give them their choices, you know, talk to them about what their choices are. But we right now, well, we can do um, cervical caps and diaphragms, which of course most people don't do, right? But we can't, you know, give them, if they want to do the mini pill, you know, we can't do that. We have to send them to another appointment to do that. Or if they want an IUD, we, right now we can't do that. And so we're saying, well, let's create this license extension so that midwives who want to offer those choices mm -hmm. can learn those skills, demonstrate, you know, and, and um, do the continuing education necessary, demonstrate their competency, and then be able to offer that to their clients, those who want to. Midwives don't have to do that, but they can apply right. for this license extension option. And then the same thing with, there will be an op option with our bill um, for, you know, if someone has a breast infection and they've tried Phytolaca and they've tried, you know, um, herbs and uh, rest and heating pads. They've tried all the things for their breast infection for 24 hours and it's not gone. 
right? And they need those antibiotics for their mastitis, right? We want to be able to prescribe that. We don't have to send this new, you know, mm-hmm. parent out to the emergency room Correct. with their breast infection, yeah. right? We just want to prescribe their antibiotics because we're already diagnosing it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. We already give antibiotics in labor through an IV, right? So we, we just want that extra license extension for midwives who want it. And there will be some who don't you know, want to take that extra continuing education who don't want to offer that to that, their clients. But there are those of us who do want to be able to offer that for people. And so hopefully we'll be able to get this bill going and passed. And right. we hope that I folks th- will come and join us. <laughs> I think that people may not realize that it is even like you can, when you're taking care of a woman during her pregnancy, either either early in the pregnancy or, or postpartum, you can do a pap smear. But you can't bring them in and do a pap spear as an annual event because you don't have the women's health prescriptive authority part about it. So you know the skills, you have the skills, you perform them, but if they're not performed in that timing, then that, and I I think that it's important for, for us to just appreciate what you're saying is that it isn't saying that we have the skills now, we don't need to do anything to provide that accreditation. We should do a little bit more of an extension of our education to prepare ourselves, to qualify ourselves, to have these abilities. We demonstrate the skills often already in conjunction with the care that we give, but we're willing to have those as an add-on because truly a nurse practitioner can decide their scope by the types of training that they add to their repertoire. And that's the same thing that we're looking at happening for licensed midwives now, is being able to add the additional skills to their repertoire so that they have that there through their dedicated efforts of, in preparation to do that and to serve the families. Because these are families that I know you get to have for all of their babies very often, unless they move. And sometimes even after they move, you still follow them. (laughs) But, you know, so that rapport, that being the kind of the interface of a healthcare provider is such an amazing relationship. And it's wonderful to have this as an opportunity for some people to enjoy the person that they've chosen for their health care to really be authorized to give them the full amount of health care that they're looking to get from them. Yeah. 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 And it's even more important probably in a rural area because there just aren't enough providers. You know, or if there are, you know, provide there's providers, but they're often busy, you know, mm-hmm. and so to make sure that people don't have to drive an hour to another provider, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and someone who takes their insurance, like you said, and already has that relationship. Yeah, really, mm-hmm. really valuable for the families. That's what it's for. Exactly. And I think that as we're moving away, I, I mean, healthcare has been severely challenged for some time, but it's even more in the spotlight now. And with the emphasis that we've had on, on really decentralizing in some ways, seeing that local is actually beneficial to have our local connections and to get our care, get our food, get our alliances in that way. It is a, a natural 
needed step. Again, what really brought me, as I saw what you were advertising on the midwifery group, which is predominantly, there are families that are on the midwifery group, but it's still predominantly midwives. So in my view, we need to get this out to the families of midwives all over this, all over the state. And uh, that is why, that is why I was like, yes, yes, come on here. Let's talk to people right now. Let's let them know you have power. And so speak a little bit to those of making that fear go away from being the person that goes to a lobby day. Like, what do you say? And what do you do? And who do you know how to find the person that you do it? to or with or however you want to put that let's demystify some of that now sure yeah that's a great question because um we have over time helped students to feel more comfortable and then they become midwives so they're feeling more comfortable because they know what it is they've been and so the one thing we really tell people is you will not be alone mm. so there is power in numbers so just showing up mm. and being there and saying nothing is important so if your fear you know if, if your fear is that i don't know what to say just being there it really just showing up is really important showing up with your kids in your hands you know that's mm -hmm. awesome like, the elected officials love it because they're really seeing oh this is what midwives do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right they work with families who who vote for me or don't vote for me right <laughs> if i don't <laughs> right but that's I think that's probably the most powerful visits we have is mm -hmm. when we get actually those families to come with us too, because they see it's not just this profession of people asking for something, but it's all of the people that they support um, who are there. And so we do a lot of things to help get people get ready, but honestly, people can just show up and that's perfect. And they don't have to feel scared because there will always be at least one other person with them. But we also do some things, there's a video already on our website, um, WashingtonMidwives.org, where you can watch a video, I think it's about 35 minutes, it's on YouTube as well, um, you know, to try to give you an idea of what to expect, and, um, you know, kind of talks about it a little bit, what to expect. And then the Friday before Lobby Day, so Lobby Day this year is... Um, Thursday, January 13th, 2022. And then um, the Friday before that, so January 7th at noon, we also offer a webinar that we record and send out as well, um, where we go over the details of this year. This is what we're gonna be talking about this year. And um, and that's another way to kind of, you know, get comfortable with the idea of what's gonna be happening. And then the morning of as well at 8 a.m., we do the same thing. We check in with everybody. We kind of remind them what it's gonna be like. And then everyone has their appointment times. And, you know, because it's virtual this year, people will show up on Zoom and um, there'll be things going on in a main room all day, you know, from eight to three. Mm -hmm. um, but then people will have their appointment times that they jump into with their own elected officials. And, and again, never by themselves. We have, you know, kind of a team lead um, for appointments. Um, and that person really does know you know, quote, quote, the things to say, mm -hmm. but honestly, the legislators are, it's just as good for them to actually meet real humans who have, who love midwives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and to, for them to be able to ask their questions about midwifery too, mm -hmm. you know, because that's all relationship building. And that's a huge part of, 
you know, connecting with our elected officials is to make sure they even have any clue what midwifery is about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we do always have our thing that we're sort of asking for as well. Right. Um, and part of the visit and they're pretty short they're like usually 10 or 15 minutes long mm -hmm. and they're really the legislators almost all of them are really nice and fun um and the ones that aren't nice maybe somebody's a little stuffy here and there but they're you know they're never mean or anything right <laughs> right right yeah uh, yes and so is there something along those lines that will tell you which district which are your legislators and how you get funneled to the right place? Is it something that they have to do some, we, any one of us have to do some interaction to discover that or tell us how that information is disseminated? Yeah, so there is a registration link right on the homepage, um, you know, it, and it goes through Eventbrite. Um, and we, then you get, you know, you plug in your address and we do ask, what is your district? There is a link, you know, Washington District Finder mm -hmm. that people can look up what is their district. Um, and that's great if you can do that. But if that's too intimidating for you to try to figure out, we can figure it out for you just by your address. Mm -hmm. Great. And then you get slotted in with other people um, from your area. Um, so I'm district 12, you know, and, um, yeah. And then, so we slot you in, we, we tell you what to expect, you know, by giving us your, your email, that's how we kind of get you all the information you need and the visits will, um, unless we can't schedule during that day, um, for the most part, those visits are going to be on that Thursday, January 13th, between eight to 3 PM. We have like lunchtime together, usually if people want to hang out, um, and socialize. And then we have like a, at the end of the day, we all come together and talk about what it was like and how it felt to be in the visits. And That's great. That's great. And uh, what would you say was the um, previous engagement last year, because that was the first Zoom one, of consumers? And what's your wildest dream and hope for this one? Well, I didn't look up the numbers ahead of time. I didn't ask so you I, to. My bad. I, don't know. <laughs> I could probably look it up on my phone real quick. But we, um, you know, I think we probably had at least 30, if not 50, um, you know, uh, fa family, you Consumers. know, families who mm -hmm. had had midwives or loved midwives mm -hmm. um, come last year. And it, that was probably more than before because maybe we only ever had 10, 15, 20 before because they had to travel to Olympia and that's a big deal. And some people did it, which was awesome. And that's always the best to have like these babies, yeah. you know, that we're showing the legislators. Um, but um, yeah, so we did have more yes. um, last year, which was exciting. And, you know, I mean, if we could have at least one family from all 49 districts in the state, that would be amazing. Wow, but even better be. if we had two or three. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and of course, some districts uh, have a, a much less population. Yeah. So the, but if they, everyone is important. I think that's the thing is that too often people are out there going, oh, well, it doesn't really matter if I show up, but that's not true. It showing up, everyone counts. Everyone's important and everyone can play a part, an active part in Everyone has part ownership of it. I think that's the thing. If we if we recognize that we want to have the type of healthcare that is that is in this model, then we want to show up and advocate for it because it's our victory too. So that is uh, 
that is, I, I think that that is easy. I love having that. If your wildest dreams is two from all 49 districts, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so maybe we'll I have five. That's or two. Not my wildest dream. My wildest dream might be ten from everybody. Oh, <laughs> okay. I like dream big. Don't and don't don't shut yourself down. Dream big. Dream big. Put it out there in the world. Put it out there in the world. It's important. My realistic dream would be two or three. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you never know what will happen, but I definitely will want to hear what happens. I definitely will want to know. Because it's it is I will stay in the know about this and this event. Now I I having had the pathway of a certified nurse midwife, okay, and as a certified nurse midwife, then we do have all these capacities that um, are being advocated. Some of which you're advocating to have the capacity to do. So I know that there can be unfortunately rather than a sense of sisterhood and support there can be some kind of um territorialism that can and i'm not i'm i'm not saying that this is true about any midwives and you know i'm not even practicing as a nurse midwife anymore and and as a community-based midwife is who i identify myself as so i'm not practicing i think that those kinds of alliances are also something that I want to stand for is recognizing the importance of being that sisterhood and being midwives together and uh, cross cross training if you would cross breeding I, I don't the might not be the best choice of word but what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that the specialties every specialty every pathway has things that are specifically more ingrained and more in more a part of the repertoire and the more sharing that we have the more that we come together the better and stronger we all are for having done it. So I don't, uh, I just wanted to say that as well. You know, I, I know magnificent midwives are in the Puget Sound area. And I know that there's a lot of people that, that totally embrace each other in, in both, in both ways. And that there's this beautiful synchronicity that's coming from having community midwives being able to bring their, people to the hospital and maybe if not have privileges themselves at least they can bring them to a midwife counterpart that will continue to honor the birth plans as much as possible that synchronous that that having that a relationship is for the benefit of all and i really you know i really just wanted to say that speak to that <laughs> yeah i think you're right on i agree with you i you know that i have always disliked that what i saw is this arbitrary div division and divisiveness and i think more and more you know getting to work with students you know the vast majority of students too just we want that kind of unity that you're describing and of yes. course there will always be things for us to work through and think th through together but the, you know, these arbitrary lines that we've created that just confuse the public, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, that to me is like the purpose that the, you know, that they serve, you know, what there's, 
three kinds of midwives, you know, who are certified in this country, you know, um, I think it, it creates a lot of public confusion, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I agree with you that we, we both, both professions have done some things really well. Um, and, you know, I, I do hope that in my lifetime, we can mm-hmm. see more coming together um, and, and figuring this out in a way that is about serving families, that's about ending these inequities. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, that, mm-hmm. that cause the deaths mm-hmm. of human beings, mm-hmm. babies, Birthing parents, mothers, it is not okay. And and yet we have these arbitrary divisions, you know. Um, I, I'm so grateful that I was able to train, you know, with with um, midwives who really helps me ha- feel comfortable to practice in a community setting. I think, you know, that's one of the real benefits, right, is that I did feel very comfortable coming out of school and being an individual dependent care provider mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i didn't get used to being able to push a button and have people come run you know mm-hmm. um sometimes of course we we call the phone <laughs> we call on the phone <laughs> yeah, and organize an appropriate transfer of care yeah. but you know i was really grateful to learn in that setting and have the benefits of you know serving people in that way and you know helping them through you know that first time when they say i don't think i can do this anymore mm-hmm. because don't they almost all say that at some point right typically and, you know, in transition right, <laughs> right? go ahead sorry yeah. typically in transition we all come to that conclusion <laughs> i i can't do this anymore <laughs> yeah. yeah i remember that point in my own labor just in mm-hmm. the bathroom right next to here mm-hmm. you know where i stood up out of the bath and i said well, this is the point where if I was going to ask for an epidural, I would ask for it mm-hmm. because, man, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I yeah. was able to have that support to be here and, um, you know, to have a normal birth, in, you know, on my bed and then, you know, in the birth pool with mm-hmm. my second. And I feel so grateful for that, for people who want it, um, yeah. you know, and, and we are able to provide, you know, that high quality care in this setting. And I'm so grateful that we can have the hospital mm-hmm. there when we need it. And we're lucky to have midwives here too, as well as really great, you know, doctors in the hospital too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and I believe that the time will come. And your lifetime is probably going to be maybe a minute or two longer than mine, but I hope to see it in my lifetime. I really do. And I, I will continue to advocate for it every opportunity that I get because mother, the, the power of midwives um, is, is not limited. It's not limited. It was, I, I like to say that birth belongs to women and midwives from birthright by birthright that that's that's just how it begins and how it has shifted in many ways but that does not it it does not take away from the power that it has to be the answer and as we come into more of women being in their power we will come into recognizing that, but we need birth to be more. Birth attended by midwives needs to be more than 10%. It just does. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, the more, the more that grows, again, again, from the fact that that's what people want. And so yep. that, 
that's where it, that's where it's born and that's where it comes but as we have more and more visibility of the families that are served and of the midwives serving together then that will become more and more known and more and more we can take away from the fear factor of how birth is displayed as a time of fear not a time of power so I'm just, I'm, I'm delighted to have more and more people activated in pursuing those things. So, wow, we got into full-on power. And, uh, but I want to know, is there other things that you wanted to share just about what midwife means to, being midwife means to you or anything else that's on your mind and your heart to share? Well, one thing I didn't, I guess, talk about much is, you know, midwifery education, which is another huge passion of mine. I, I just wish, you know, I wish that every, you know, person who wanted to be a midwife could be, you know, supported <laughs> by their family, by their community, um, by their schools, by their preceptors um, into that role uh, that they were meant to be in. And I um, I, I think so many things. I think there's a midwife for every person, <laughs> mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. that every, you know, every birthing person deserves a midwife and that there is a right one out there for them. They don't always get to intersect, but often they do, you know, mm -hmm. and I also think that there's, you know, there's, you know, there's a perfect school or preceptor, you know, for every student. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just love when those matches can happen, that when people can find the right school for them or the right preceptor for them um, so that they can, you know, do this work. It's a, it's hard, you know, to mm -hmm. become a midwife, but it is so rewarding. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, my passion is that students, um, you know, can find a place, yeah, where they can learn this amazing, hard, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, beautiful, uh, incredible profession and be able to serve families. Um, and, and so that's, you know, another facet of my work is um, trying to work with other midwifery educators who want to create safe spaces mm -hmm. for students um, mm -hmm. so that, the, so that the, our curriculum is more uh, diverse and socially just so that students can see themselves represented in the curriculum and learn how then to also provide good culturally appropriate care to their clients. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another big, you know, passion of mine um, because I think in so many areas, it's, it's hard to even figure out, you know, what school do I want to go to or what, how can I find a preceptor, um, you know, to, to teach me. And so uh, I hope that we can keep growing, you know, midwifery education as well, because if we ever get to see our dream, of more than 10% of people in this country having midwives, we need more of, of everything. Yes. We need more midwives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we mm -hmm. need more mm -hmm. midwifery schools. We need more midwifery preceptors, more midwifery mm -hmm. educators. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, precepting midwives was just a, a complete, I, I was completely dedicated to it as well. And I did, did do some educational aspects of things in as well you know teaching mostly i was teaching nursing i did actually teach midwives to be truthful uh in which i'm always truthful just so you know <laughs> i think i'll just start now no i'm always truthful no <laughs> but i was te uh precepting midwifery students is just 
an amazing thing. Um, I did not have a huge volume. And so it having students have an opportunity to be in the practice and gain the experiences they need of being hands-on when you have a smaller practice is it's tricky it's tricky but it can be done you know you have to form those relationships because a smaller practice is all about having your few families that are you know that you've been with for all this time and I know that in some cases I remember in my own midwifery education, it's like I go from doing a birth, it's like, I just can't wait to do this again, you know? It's like, I wanna do another one and another one and another one and another one, like right now, you know? And there is that, that excitement about having a good fit. Having a fit, a good fit, is so important with a student and a preceptor. It's so important with a midwife and the family. It's so important with a midwife and a partner. It's important, yeah. it's important for all these things. And making sure that what we're growing is the communities that can give us those opportunities to get those fits. I love that you're talking about it from the stance of let's have representative populations that are there and their culture is their their culture and their way their ways and we have a blend of coming together and appreciating and 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 like i said before about getting ideas one from another and recreating our own minds and our own lives and our only way our ways of of having um, our customs be modified because of this mingling together because of that richness of understanding. So I really appreciate you speaking to that as well. Really, that's wonderful. Now, I think it would be important to talk a little bit about the, the fact that you do have little ones and that <laughs> you do, are, you do have uh, both your passion and how you do that dance because there's many midwives that have to dance with that. Um, and tell us about that dance. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, <laughs> the mom guilt is a thing. I generally don't struggle with confidence in other areas of my life, but the, the constant worry that, you know, I'm not doing this motherhood thing as well as I could, <laughs> I might be ruining them, um, is hard. But I do, I hope that what they get to see, you know, is that I, I do work that I love. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes mm -hmm. means that I have to say, mommy needs to do this now. <laughs> I can't do these other things that you want me to do. Um, and that's been true since the beginning. You know, mm -hmm. I, I did have five months with my son, I was able to save up money. You know, they, we didn't have family medical leave at that time. Thank goodness in Washington, we do now, um, even for small business, you know, folks. Um, you know, that's that was one of the things we advocated for at Midwife Lobby Day. <laughs> Yay. So Another success yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had that time, you know, which was good because I had a lot of anxiety and, um, but I had, you know, some special time with him and then I transitioned first back to clinic 
um, you know, a, a month of just clinic. And then I went back when he was six months old um, to doing births. And, you know, even though I was supposed to only be on call something like 25% of the time, I did 10 births yeah. <laughs> the first month back, <laughs> of course, yeah. um, which was very busy. Um, but my mom and dad were here a little bit, which was amazing to help. And um, yeah, that's a little hard not having family close. That's probably one reason mm -hmm. why clinical midwifery, once I had two kids, I was like, need to take a break, you know, from that. Um, but, you know, my, I had lots of great support. I had a great in-home daycare situation mm -hmm. and my partner, you know, was here in the nighttime um, for my mm -hmm. baby and <laughs> our baby. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, um, you know, like the nursing in the middle of the mm -hmm. night and getting called to births, you know, that sort of thing definitely happened. But I also, the power of midwives to sort of, you know, gently shape their schedules. The vast mm -hmm. majority of my, my births happened at night mm -hmm. when, you know, like meaning I oftentimes after a clinic day, so I was already there. I mm -hmm. already had childcare. My husband was already with my baby. And then on the weekends, I mean, it was amazing the number of times that worked out. Thank mm -hmm. goodness, mm -hmm. you know, cause it, it was, you know, otherwise just a juggle, mm -hmm. you know, a constant juggle, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. And so then once I was pregnant, and in a master's program and teaching and organizing lobby day, I decided <laughs> I wanted to focus more on just teaching and mm -hmm. lobby day mm -hmm. and our other advocacy work that we do through the Midwives Association of Washington State. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and I, um, so that's when I decided, okay, I'm gonna, you know, but even when my second, she was three weeks old and I had to go back to teaching online, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. I was, you know, responding to student posts mm -hmm. and grading their homework <laughs> with mm -hmm. my little baby nursing and she, once in a while, I'll be on the computer and she'll hand me her baby doll. Mm -hmm. I think she mm -hmm. remembers, like, you know, I would lay her on mm -hmm. the desk to nurse so mm -hmm. that I could type. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the things the the things that we as mamas do, uh, yeah, and how we navigate that. And you know, at first, I just want to say you're doing an amazing job. I see the pictures of your family. I see you outside in nature. I see you um, just raising beautiful, conscious human beings. And you're right that you do have to be honest with yourself that there is uh, what is possible and then there is what fits for the place that you're at. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that at any other time that's going to be the way it needs to fit, but that's the way it fits now. And acknowledging that and making sure that you line up with what your heart says. Because our hearts, they have a way of guiding us. They just do. They have a way of guiding us. And um, But if, ain't ma if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So <laughs> the whole idea of sometimes finding that balance of mom is her, her, her life is definitely poured into her children so much so that you you really don't even see where there was a, a little carved out portion for yourself sometimes you get absorbed so to speak but whatever sparkles keep you chiming and this sparkle that you do right now of keeping people informed and raising consciousness 
that sparkle gets that twinkle in your eye. It gets that aliveness, and that aliveness is exactly what your entire family needs, as well as you. So I, I really want to assure you, what I see looking in is that you're doing a fantastic job, and I applaud you for doing that, because like you said, it is not, it's not easy, and there's no, you know, the baby comes, you don't get this little roadmap, okay, and isn't it true that what you learned with your first isn't really applied to your, your, your daughter, you learned something with your son, now is that what your daughter is, um, no, uh -uh. she's got her own, you know, she's got her own things, it's like a discovery process every time, no matter how many children you have. And no matter how many um, opportunities that you have to be your amazing and excellent self, the one thing that you we each have to remind ourselves is that what we let go of, we let go of because our hearts have a different priority right now. So good for you for acknowledging that. I can barely believe it. We only have a few more minutes. So I'm afraid I've talked a lot more than I ordinarily talk, and I apologize for that right now. You've inspired me in some way. I don't know. But I, I don't want to take away from anything else that might be coming to you now. So let's just see what that is. Is there anything else? You talked about well, your students. Yes, and go ahead. Your well, I think it's been a lovely interaction. It's been really fun for me. The two things that I just thought of when you were talking, yes. um, one was another passion. I have a lot of passions, I guess. Yes. <laughs> another yes. passion of mine um, is trying, you know, to get more midwives publishing. Um, ah. You know, getting our um, our data out there, getting our yes. stories out there. You know, and um, I have, you know, I just had to figure it out on my own the first time and so I'm always willing to just help people think through that give you a sample cover letter to work with um, if you ever you know want to be trying to to talk about what you're doing you know do you have a cool thing that you're doing with your practice a great relationship with the nurse midwives in your area you know a great relationship with the doctors in your area like we need to be publishing that you know even if it's not research um, there you know we we need to be telling our stories in, you know, in a variety of formats. And um, so I really um, love the idea of helping people figure that out. And, uh, you know, because if doctors are going to read about what we're doing, it's that's one place they might find it, right? Without, mm -hmm. um, you know, having to actually talk to us. And hopefully they do that too. But, you know, I just think it's so important. Um, so I, um, I, I hope to see more and more of that. Um, and I like to support people in that um, endeavor. Right. And the other thing I was just thinking, oh, go ahead. No, no, right. I mean, I didn't even talk about the fact that you are very published. And you're, pub you're published in the way of research, or do you actually have some other publishing that I'm not mindful of? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that, that it's not, my, my publications are not the same kind of original research where you you know, set up a study and do some qualitative right. data collection or, or, you know, or quantitative data collection. Um, I have, I have published other work, sort of more professional issues related work. So most recently we looked at, um, and I love doing it with other people. That's what's so fun to me. 
Um, you know, we looked at all the laws in the whole country and the and the, you know our territories are essentially our colonies, which is not okay, right? We have we still have territories wow. in this country, um, and also the District of Columbia, which is also um, essentially a colony. So we looked at all of those to look at the laws and say, you know, and I, you know, I thought to do it because we had just changed our, some of our laws here. Mm -hmm. So now, you know. Um, just as we're trying to do this time, <laughs> right? Yes. But we had just gotten where midwives could prescribe prenatal vitamins. Right. If they wanted to prescribe a glucometer and those glucose strips, right? If people wanted to be able to, to do that, to test their blood sugar, right? And see what their blood sugar is doing in pregnancy, right? We didn't want people to have to pay for that. And so we got the ability to prescribe that here yes. as Washington licensed midwives. So I wanted to tell people about that. Mm. And I discovered it was really interesting to look at what every other state you know, what are their laws? Yeah, what a full array of things. And I love, <laughs> I love the call to action for midwives and then students and families. And it was, it's truly just been a joy to be in your presence. You are an amazing woman and a wonderful advocate. And I so enjoy your essence. I always have. And I'm so thankful that you took time to share it with us today. Thank you so much, Kristen. Well, thank you. It's been really fun. You're, you're super fun to talk with. <music>